Hello everyone and welcome back to Full 40 with Chris and Rob, brought to you by Nova Insider, presented to you by Stay Tuned with D-Ray. Still getting used to that, but I, I like the ring of it. I like the ring of it too. We're going to have, we'll add a couple more partners, we'll have like the longest intro in all of podcast history. <laughs> yeah. I like it. <laughs> Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah. Any takers? Yeah, we'll take it. Yeah. Um, so, just to give a heads up on the program here today, Rob and I are doing a quick Recap of the week, a preview of the week to come, mm-hmm. a Big swing around the Big East, Yeah, a look gonna, ahead towards the final, now we're in the home stretch. It's going to be like lightning round yeah, for this podcast. Yeah, this is a lightning round podcast. Reason being, the second half of the podcast, Rob's not going to be on it. That's right. Rob was... Because I quit. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> kind he's <of>. back. <laughs> yeah. On the second half of the podcast, which was recorded first... <laughs> Sandro and uh, Sandro Rocco, guest of the pod, frequent guest of the pod, friend of the pod, also the owner and entrepreneur of Sanzo. Mm. Um, we talk about the basketball team. Sandro actually has real life basketball experience, unlike us. Yep, yep. Um, we bring him on every so often. We bring to, him like, on, bring a little knowledge to the program, so yeah. we're not just pretending. Yeah, right. So he drops some knowledge in the second half of the podcast. So stay tuned for that, and then. At the back end, we touch base on Sanzo and see how he's doing, and it's very interesting stuff. You got to stick all the way to the end. It's going to be a longer pod, but promise you, it's worth it. Love it. So, with that said, you're here. I'm here. I am literally off the plane. I got yes. off the plane at JFK. I did not hop off the plane at LAX, but at JFK, got in an Uber, got to my apartment. You were basically waiting for me, and here we are to do the pod. Yes. And so- I will say this. We're going to post this later on Instagram. Kudos to my wife, who somehow, like, found a pirate stream on the flight across the Atlantic Ocean, so I was able to catch about 80% of the Temple game today via grainy live stream pirate stream. It's big for morale. It was big for morale. I was like, I have to say, I was like, Nicole, there's no way we're getting this game. And she just like... I mean, you basically... How I would look at that is like you basically erased two hours of your flight. <laughs> yes, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My mindset. I was like, shit. I need to find something to like reoccupy my mind because I had absolutely written two hours into watching Villanova. Yeah, yeah. So, kudos to you for that. But let's get into it. So, two games this week. Mm-hmm. You had the Marquette game, which we stormed out early. Looked real good. <laughs> New approach for us. <laughs> yeah, interesting play. <laughs> hadn't really seen that before, but it seemed to work out good, at least early on. Then the second half, we stormed a gout again. And then we decided to save our cold stretch for like the whole last 10 minutes of the game. <laughs> and let an 18-point lead evaporate to one. This team is, is nothing but if not interesting. Yeah. <laughs> the only thing consistent about the team is it's inconsistency. Yes, 100%. Uh, but nevertheless, we snapped... A three-game losing streak against Marquette at home in February. And if that sounds familiar, we literally did the same thing last year. Yeah, and that was, I believe, was that the Samuels game? That was the Samuels 
coming out party. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, this one, Samuel's definitely played a lot better. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a full-blown... Party. Party. <laughs> but a good experience, nonetheless. It was like a, a casual get-together, if yeah. you will. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jermaine Samuel's Sunday barbecue. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and then followed by Temple, yeah. which we... Flip the script back to our normal self of looking like absolute garbage, with the exception of Colin Gillespie. Oh my God! Yeah. In the in the first half, the only reason why we were in the game was Colin Gillespie. In that the was first unreal. Half. To the second half, just making them look like they didn't even belong on the same fucking court as us. Yes, a hundred percent. Now, granted, it helps when you hit pretty much all your threes. Uh, yes, that, that does usually help. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So, so that definitely helped there. Um, Takeaways from this week, look, this was a week that you had to go 2-0. You had to get it done. You had Marquette, a ranked opponent, at home. You had to beat them. Um, And you had to beat Temple because Temple's not good. We now swept 4-0, Big 5, Big 5 champions. Check the box, done. Out of conference, now complete. And interesting stat, the Villanova-Temple game in all of college basketball was the only non-conference game of the month that's weird ken pom posted that today and i was like that is absolutely fascinating that is kind of crazy in 2012 there was like 70 out of conference games in february wow and it's all the way down to one interesting what i don't know what to take away from that other than it is a very interesting stat i think it has a lot to do with conference scheduling and the fact that the game that the amount of games has expanded from Mm. it was 16 for a lot of conferences up until that point and then it went to 18 yeah and now it's going to go even further to to 20 yeah so next year's big east schedule is going to be 20 games yeah okay um but I thought that was an interesting tidbit. It is. And I'm, I'm with you on the takeaway. That was my thing for the week. It's like, I feel like normally you'd look at that and be like, oh, Marquette and Temple. Like, not that exciting of a week, but these were two games we had to have. Yeah. For morale, for the fan base, for the guys. Like, you lose another one, you're 4-0. and Then you really start asking questions. Yeah. It's like, it and, was huge. And looking back on it, the three-game losing streak came against three teams that, like, you can be okay with losing to. Not that you want to. No, totally. And the issue was that it happened at home. Yeah. But, like, or two of them happened at home. And the one away was an unreal shot. Yes. Beater. Yeah. But Creighton, all of a sudden, in the rearview mirror, looks real good. Yeah. Yeah. And we know Seton Hall's good. Yeah. Although they just had no in two weeks. They're, yeah. The, the Big East, the, should, we, should we talk about this now? I think we just jump into it now because the Big East is just fucking wild. It is amazing. This is... This is like back when we were in school. Yeah, it's terrific. And because we're old, back when we were in school was absolutely the old Big East. Like, back in my day. Back in my day, 100, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, pre-requiem for the Big East. Like, this is it, man. Ranked team versus ranked team. Just nonstop, back and forth. No bad losses. It's fucking exciting. I love it. Like, I'm just jazzed up when i look at the schedule we'll talk about the upcoming weekend a little bit too but it's like this is just great like yes. you don't have to you don't it's not that you don't have to worry you do have to worry because the teams are good but you don't have to worry unless you're playing DePaul that hey if i do lose like not gonna hurt me that much come march and if anything i'll take some learnings away from it right yeah exactly right this is how it used to feel again 10 years ago 
when we would play games. And I love that point because it's like, I would feel like three years ago, four years ago, five years ago, when we play any team other than basically Xavier, who is the only other team of any formidableness at all, (laughs) right? Like, Every game felt like a must-win game because if you felt like you yes. lost it, you felt like you dropped the seed line in a loss. Yeah, because you lost to what's likely a unranked team. Well, you have like Gonzaga syndrome basically at that point. Yes, and it wasn't quite that bad. No, no, I mean, the Big East was still putting in four, five, six teams into the tournament, but like it still wasn't. It still didn't reflect positively. No. So you felt like nervous going into every game. It's like, oh my god, how. I hope we don't lose this one. Like, yeah. whatever. Now you go in and you're like, I hope I can get a good win. Yeah, absolutely. Right. You know what's kind of cool, too, thinking about it? It didn't always work out like this. But in the Big East, back in the heyday, when we had so many teams, if I remember correctly, it was like the top three teams, based on kind of like preseason rank, ended up more or less playing each other twice. Yes. So they tried it, to jimmy the schedule. Yeah, so, so it was like a little bit weird. If you weren't actually in that top three to start the year... Then like it wasn't quite as exciting. Like you didn't get quite as many of those top matchups. So, but you got like, enough. You got enough. But but point being, I guess the comparison I'm trying to make is more like, hey, right now we're seeing everybody, and yeah. everybody's a yeah. tough out at this point, and that's really cool. Yeah, everyone's a tough out. The two teams that have fallen off the wagon are St. John's, who also had a critical injury. Um, and DePaul. Yes. Um, which DePaul really surprises me, although we're playing DePaul this week. I want to get back to that, so yeah. I'm going to table them. But like, they've fallen off. Those two teams have no chance to get an at-large bid to the NCAA no. tournament. No, no, that's right? totally done. Providence is also probably no chance, even though they have some good wins in conference. Yeah. They probably have no chance at an at-large bid. Though, wouldn't blow my mind if they win three or four games in the Big East tournament. But every other team, Georgetown included, yeah. is very much in the conversation. Georgetown, yeah. per Lunardi, because they yep. were showing it today, was yep. first uh, first four out or I, next four out? I think, yeah, yeah, one of those. Yeah, next four out. And he's he was bullish on him, too. Yeah. Take it for what it's worth, but yes. Right. So every other team, though, is in. Solidly in. Yeah. The Big East is a great conference this year. Yeah, it's insane. So, with that, like Tuesday was, uh, sorry, Wednesday was fucking wild because I'm coming home and I'm like appointment television watching Creighton Seton Hall. Yeah. Just to be followed, ranked, ranked, right? Just to be followed by Marquette Villanova, ranked, ranked. It was insane. <laughs> Fox, Fox Sports is probably like, wait a minute. What are we supposed to do with all this good television? Yeah. How could we not monetize this? Because that's what Fox... Well, they brought Jim Spinarkle in out of nowhere, who never calls games for the Fox. <laughs> they brought him out of nowhere because they're like, um, people are going to watch this, so we need like good announcers. <laughs> I don't think they came to that conclusion. Somebody probably called them and was like, hey, Fox Sports, like um, you guys should probably have somebody good cover this. Yeah. Like, oh, is something something good happening? Okay. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> Terrible. So, well, the point in all of this is to say is, fuck ESPN. <laughs> right because they put out this requiem for the big east yeah whatever six seven years ago back when this was all the last season was coming to a close and we had the big east tournament going on and whatever and they like did this whole special film ad around selection sunday and it was like oh too bad the poor big east blah 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 it was so great for so long and 
let's talk to everybody about the 80s and even in the 90s and 2000s and wasn't this wonderful and it's a shame that this hall had to end even though they fucking caused all of it to end <laughs> right to create the college football yeah. playoff so they did that but they also then felt bad about it so they created this and said basically it was almost like a oh it's too bad and we're writing the gravestone for yeah. the big east and now we're the best conference in the country yeah How'd that work out for you, ACC? You yeah. suck this year. Yeah. You're terrible. It's, it's really bad. It's re- UNC is 10 and 15, I think. <laughs> it's UNC amazing. It's so bad. It's unreal. Yeah. Holy cow. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, yes. Um, so, that's great. So, anyway, a lot of Big East stuff. Um, I'll probably talk about it a little bit later, too. Yeah. So, uh, well, one thing I want to hit on is, is, before we get into our schedule in particular, yeah. is I want to hit on... The remaining schedules for our major conference opponents. And what I mean by that is I have, because of Seton Hall's two losses this week, Seton Hall has receded back to the pet. They were literally three games up on the nearest team. And now they're one game up on Creighton and one and a half games up on us with games against both teams remaining. And Creighton owns the, the, the home victory over Hall. So, so all of a sudden, this conference, which used to look, which looked like just a few days ago, looked like an absolute runaway for Seton Hall. All of a sudden, there's now again a cluster of three teams who each could lay claim and potentially grab a piece of the regular season title. Yeah. So, here's what I think it is. I'll start with. I'm gonna, not going to bury the lead here. I think Creighton has the inside track. For the Big East Championship. That's amazing. I mean, I I think you have a very valid point. It's just amazing to me that Creighton has worked back to this position. And, I mean, kudos to Greg McDermott for getting his team in this position to, to be that successful. It's not the team I certainly expected to be there at the start of the season. No, not at all. But... Creighton's schedule left is at Marquette, which is tough, but they've shown the propensity to win against ranked opponents on the road. Yeah. Home versus Butler, winnable game. At St. John's, winnable game. Home versus Georgetown, winnable game. Home versus Hall, who they already beat at Hall. So, like, I don't think Creighton's going to go 5-0, and but wouldn't blow my mind if they went 4-1. and Jeez. With potential wins, again, against Seton Hall and Butler. So, Creighton has a very reasonable schedule left. Hall has is at Butler, tough, but they can beat them. I mean, really tough, yeah. Yeah, home versus St. John's, so they should win that game. Yep. At Marquette, tough. Yep. Home versus us, tough. Yep. At Creighton. That's tough. Brutal. Yeah. Absolutely brutal. The Seton Hall has got a brutal stretch to the finish line here. And then, and then, so, so I don't think their losing is done. And I don't know if you saw this today. They have issues in the locker room. Ooh, I did not see this. Oh, tell, yeah. tell me more. Willard, Willard, <laughs> yesterday after the game was like, we got some guys with attitudes. Oh, in the, Jesus. Yeah, to the media. Just, we got guys with <laughs> attitudes complaining about playing time when their team is like 10 and 1 in the conference. Oh, my like, God. Like, give me a freaking break. Dude. Like, yeah, so just through the media, just yelling at some members of the team. Who knows who he's talking about? But Seton Hall doing Seton Hall things. It's yeah. about that time of the year. No, the problem is it should have passed it. I thought we were beyond the Seton Hall internally 
uh, internal implosion part of the season, and they and they avoided it. But it looks like it just got delayed. <laughs> well, here's what we have left, and then I guess we'll t- go from this into into our week ahead. Yeah. At the Paul. Yep. Winnable, but uh, just trap game. Yeah. At Xavier, who isn't good, but as you discussed, they're not good. It's tough to win at the Cinta Center. Yep. St. John's at home, definitely our easiest matchup yep. left. Providence at home, also very winnable. At Hall, obviously super tough. That's going to be And at cool. Georgetown, who, again, a winnable game. Yeah. But Georgetown is very much in contention to make the NCAA tournament. And what would do them nothing better than to beat us yeah, you've got those... In la- their final regular season game of the season. Those last two games, think about that. We're assuming Hall's still in contention. We're absolutely going to get their best shot because they're going to want either a number one seed in the Big East or that Big East regular season crown. And Georgetown, you're absolutely right, assuming they don't fall apart, they're going to be fighting tooth and nail to lock up that spot. So it's yeah. going to be really tough way to end the regular season for us. Yeah. Woo! Yeah. I'm, I mean... You get the. Oh, I'm a little excited. <laughs> it's, fun, it's funny, right? Because we talked about the past few episodes, like, ah, I'm not really that excited about the regular season, regular season championship, whatever. You know, I'm still kind of like, eh, regular season championship, I'm not all that concerned. But this is exciting stuff. Like, we got tough games that the Big East is doing big things, and, like, our team's going to get tested. It's yeah. going to be cool. I have, I mean, we have six games left, and I have two games, the only two games that I feel like I'm pretty confident we're going to win. Or pretty to, to very confident yeah, that we're yeah. going to win. And that's St. John's and Providence both at home. Yep. Do I think we're going to beat DePaul? Yes. DePaul is imploded. They are oh my God. much worse than they were uh, beforehand. But I am not convinced that we automatically beat them. They came razor close to beating us at the Pavilion several weeks ago yeah and those guys probably surely remember that it's going to be a sold out game or maybe i don't even know i, say yeah, that. I, I, have, no idea. I have no idea can they sell out a game i don't know but it's surely going to be a more highly attended game yes that's <laughs> normal. true that's true and and they're going to look for that revenge and leto and his, and his guys are going to hope to like hey can we put one stamp of something on this season sure. after like a promising start that fell apart absolutely felt i mean to be clear they have absolutely fallen apart. Yeah. They were 12 and 1. They're, what, 13 and 11? 13 now? and 12. 13 and 12, yeah. Yeah. So, terrible. absolute just. Wheels fell off. Wheels totally fell off the train. Yeah. At Xavier, again, tough because Xavier is looking a little bit better. They beat they beat Seton Hall a couple weeks ago at Seton Hall. So, I mean, what do you make of that? They're good at the Santa Center. You know, it's a weekend game at the Santa Center. You've been there before. It's absolutely freaking wild in there. I was going to say, we know that I don't believe in Xavier. Right. But the Xavier fan base on a Saturday afternoon or Sunday afternoon, whatever it is, at Cintas, they're going to be ready to go. Yeah. So, what do you got here? Uh, I think it's probably a one-on-one week. I think one-on-one, yeah. I think we we get the DePaul, Cintas, I think it's going to be tough, though. Yeah. Yeah. And that's us saying that, and we don't believe that DePaul, um, that Xavier's a good team. Yeah. Just think that it's it's tough. And uh, candidly, well, I think it's we tough. haven't been consistent enough to, uh, to say that, to say that hey, we're going to knock off two teams that we should beat away. Exactly. That was exactly the point I was going to make. Yeah. Normally, you're, yeah, 
This year, not so much. Yeah. So with that, if we do go one and one, I think our shot to win the Big East Championship is probably spoiled, probably given that we're a game yeah. and a half back. Yeah. If we do go two and zero, oh, very much there. We might be having a different podcast next week about what homework do we need to do to win the Big East Championship because. We're predicting already a two and zero week the following week with St. John's and Providence yep. at home. So all of a sudden now yeah. you have two games to maybe get the job done. And and I think to be clear, what's going to make it even more interesting? Like you just ran through a lot of those. Like basically, what I'm getting is this next week is going to be big for a lot of teams. Like we've got there are a couple marquee matchups coming up this week. We've got. Um, Butler, I think, has two big games. Yeah, They're Butler playing. is home at Seton, home versus Seton Hall. Yep, and then home versus Creighton. Creighton, yeah. No, sorry, they're at Hall and at Creighton. Ooh, okay, rough, rough week for Butler. Yeah, but so the, that's those are two great matchups, and then I think Creighton also has a big week. Yeah, Obviously. Creighton's at Marquette and home versus Butler. So I mean, this next week. Is gonna move a lot of things around. Yeah, and actually, like we could come out of this week if we go two and zero this week, could actually come out mathematically. Could we come out in the driver's seat? We probably could. Like, you know, we'll see. We could come out of the driver's seat because for for the sheer purpose that we have a home split versus Creighton. Yeah, and Hall has to still play at Creighton, so. Paul can go 0 and 2 versus Creighton right. end up in that tiebreak scenario yeah, yeah. with our homework left to do is win at Hall. Yep. No, so, that makes sense. All right. We're getting lost in the machinations definitely, of all definitely, of this. Definitely, definitely. Cuz there's too much overlap because there's so few teams. It is it is kind of real, kind of crazy. Yeah. So, but yeah, so I mean the, the story is the Big East. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. That's the story of this week. I think that's it. Um, should we do our awards for the week? Yeah, we got a couple awards. This one was tough. Rob and I had a disagreement, but I'm ultimately ceding to Rob's belief. Colin was amazing today. He but, was terrific, yeah. But he's not going to take home an award. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. We've given Colin a lot of hardware this season, but my push was the Alpha Dog Arf Arf player of the week is Jeremiah Robinson, Robinson Earl. Yeah. And, you know, primarily... Because of his really gutty, incredibly strong performance against Marquette. I think he had like 17 and 11. Just awesome stat line. And then you could come back and say today, like, oh, well, you know, he wasn't wasn't as quite as impactful today because he didn't play a lot of the first half. My counter-argument is, okay, hear that. You saw what happened when he wasn't in. And we don't attribute that all to him, right? But second half, he's back. He played a really strong game. I think he ended up with 10 points or something like that. He was all over the place again. So I think the combination of those two games and the fact that the first game Marquette was such a must win and ended up being even a tighter fought battle, my nod goes to Jerry. All right. I'm 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 with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna accept that award. I do think Colin deserves some due for being just absolutely insane today. He's um, other otherworldly. Twenty nine points. And candidly he could have had more, and he just For started sure. to involve other players. Uh, it's just phenomenal. Like he's so tough on defense. We get into it on the second half of the podcast. You don't know this, but Sandra and I talk about this on the second half of the podcast. So just how amazing Colin has become. And so, I mean, Colin is a very close second 
for his performance to put us over the top versus Temple today. Yeah, you, know, you guys may have talked again. I haven't even listened to the other half of the podcast, but you may have talked about this. He's getting a lot of love from the national press too. Oh yeah, Billis called him out. Billis is like, you can't have a conversation about top point guards in the country and not include Colin Gillespie in that conversation. Which amazing. It's a it's a true statement. Yeah. First off, like forget all the other skills. Shooting wise, he's one of the best shooting point guards in the country. Crazy. Period. And like, I mean, like top five. Is he really that high? That's awesome. Like, just just capability of shooting, yeah, yeah, knocking yeah, yeah, down yeah, a shot. Yeah. yeah. Right. He's a good creator. He doesn't turn the ball over a ton, and and he's not a horribly he's not a horrible rebounding guard either. Yeah. Like in the last like eleven games, ESPN flashed a stat that he's like seventeen five and four. Or something like that. It's just insane. Good for him. Yeah. So, I mean, Colin, you could actually almost make the argument that he's a top 10 point guard in the country. I think you probably could. Yeah. Probably. I mean, yeah. We'll we'll go through that exercise another day. Yeah, that's for another time. But, yeah. Incredible. He was terrific, yeah. Um, The Shaq Fit Man Play of the Week goes to Sadiq Bey. Mm-hmm. We struggled with this one a little bit, but we felt that it was Sadiq, the man jam, yeah, that iced it against Temple. Yeah, it was, yeah. We the game was out of hand, the but that was, was a throwdown to was, show like, yeah, get out of here. Drive, Every, drive through the paint, just yeah, just this one's done. Get out. Yeah, get out. Everyone, go home. Head <laughs> for long. the exits. It was nice. It was good to see that. Um, the pass the fucking ball of the week. Hitting to go a little bit oddball here. Is, mm. Goes to Marcus Howard. Ooh. Who threw up a three-pointer with no time left, but it had no hope of changing anything about the outcome of the game, and hit it to make a, what should have been a 72-68 game be a 72-71 game, and in doing so, became the Big East's all-time leading scorer. Yeah. So, so like, fuck off, dude. Yeah. Like, like, <laughs> like, it was like the most, like, I'm a Yankees fan. Like, it is the most, like, A-Rod home run ever. Like, the Yankees are up eight, and he hits a grand slam and trots around the bases, like, you know, whatever. <laughs> Howard's a good kid. He went over and talked to Jay Wright before, and it was a funny tidbit there, and then I'll wrap up with this. But Howard goes, like, oh, it was, a, it was like, an honor to compete against you. I'm so glad to be able to have competed against you in the Big East these last few years. It was a very nice thing for him to say to Jay Wright. And Jay basically said, after the fact, to the Fox Sports guys, he was like, he was like, yeah, I told him, it was like, the feeling's not the same. I hate having to play you <laughs> um, because the gameplay for you is insane. But I thought that was a nice little tidbit. That is a nice tidbit for sure. So pass the fucking ball where the week goes to Marcus Howard. All right. Nah, I won't argue with that one too much. All right. That's all. I think that's pretty much it for this for this week. Yeah. 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 You don't get to do the, as always, Let's Go Nova, because Sandra got to do that. Wow, that's a bummer. Yeah. All right. But So we're going to go into break. I'll sign off for this half, I guess. When we come back, Rob won't be here. See ya. And I'll be talking to Sandra. Uh, All right. So stay tuned, and we'll be back in a minute. Hello, everyone. It's Chris from the Full 40 Part of the Stay Tuned Network brought to you by Nova Insider. Just want to give a quick plug to some upcoming content that you should be very excited for. We're going to have Reynolds, D-Ray himself, on the podcast to talk about his time leading up to Nova, at Nova, and thereafter, and all the endeavors that he's doing with the Stay Tuned Network. We're going to have Chuck Everson from the 1985 team on the podcast as well. We're working 
with Nova right now to see if we can do something with D-Ray around the time of the Big East. And we got a lot going on content-wise that's going to come to you after the season. So stay tuned with us as we're wrapping up. We're coming down the home stretch of the season. And as always, let's go Nova. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Full 40 with Chris and Rob, brought to you by Nova Insider, presented to you by Stay Tuned with D-Ray. It's the second half of the podcast. Rob's gone. Rob's not here. It's just me. It's Sandro Rocco, everybody. Hey. Our favorite guest, our only recurring guest (laughs) on the program. Um, So I'm just going to be straight up with, with everyone listening. This is the second half of the podcast. We're recording it first. Rob is currently on a flight back home from Sweden. And I watched the game with Sandro. And so Sandro and I are doing the podcast. And Rob could go fuck himself. <laughs> um, but Rob's going to come back. And then Rob and I will do the first, quote unquote, first half of the podcast. And you guys will enjoy that. But you'll probably enjoy this more because Rob's not here. And Sandro's great. <laughs> Um, so with that said, Rob, uh, Sandra and I just watched the Temple game. Uh, big, big second half. Big second half performance. Sandro is also the founder of Sanzo. We're going to get into Sanzo later, but at first I want to talk about the, the team um, this year, what his impressions are for the season, obviously this week, an interesting, couple, an interesting slate of games this week. Uh, but just want to get a feel from him about kind of how this team is doing and whatever. And the reason why I think it's important to talk to Sandro about this is because he actually knows basketball as opposed to Rob and I, who just like to pontificate about things that we don't really know about, which is a very white guy thing of us to do. (laughs) So with that said, Sandro, what's your take? Tell us what to think about this team this year. Yep. So first off, like, thanks for having me again. Nice to be, nice to be back as always on the full 40, almost like a second home. Um, I'd actually give you, you guys a little bit more credit. Like you may not know all the X's and O's, but you can de- you definitely have a good pulse on where the program is at any given point, which is what I think makes you know what you guys do so good. Honestly, like my take is, I, I said this in like a Slack group in, 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 in a conversation on Slack. I feel like I feel like this year is frustrating for a lot of people because we feel like this team, like we know that this team is one year away, and yet. When we see what this team can get to, the frustration is that we think we can get it now. So, like, we all know mm. that this team is super young and there's a lot of potential. And yet, when we see that potential sometimes realized over the course of a game or even have, like, these five, six-minute long stretches, like what we saw this afternoon against Temple, we're like, why can't we just have this all the time? And it's, like, a totally... I mean, look, I'm the same way, right? Like, I watched the second half of this Temple game and was just like, yes, this is the team that we can be and it would be great if we always were. But then, you know, we have the first half. The first half. The first half. The whole first half. Yeah. And, like, obviously the three-game skid that we had that reminds us that, yeah, this is what you get in, like, over the course of a season with a young team, especially in the middle of conference play. And like, you know, end of January, early Feb, I know you guys talked about it too, how the schedule lent itself towards not having really any breaks. And yeah, that can be really taxing on a young team. I mean, I think especially you saw, again, today with the game against Temple, how maybe a team that's in the throes of the 
of, of, of conference play can really struggle. But then you also see how a true leader, um, a leader and veteran in Colin Gillespie just literally puts the team on his back and is just like, yep, nope, we're going to we're gonna punch through this wall. Yeah. Um, and I think it's super interesting to see the, this become really like a program year. Yeah, it, it is interesting. And I feel like that – I feel like what you said is like – dead on it's like exactly how i feel i feel like everyone knew this was a young team coming in they were prepared for some elements of frustration i think that there was an element to the fan base just from my read that all the you know the famed villanova twitter that i like to talk about <laughs> but there's a there's a portion of the fan base who had extremely high expectations i think rob and i got chided a bit for having maybe a little bit too low expectations but if you average it out the fan base generally expected another solid Villanova year out of this team. And early on, we got trounced by Ohio State. Then we lost to Baylor, who, FYI, Baylor's really good. <laughs> um, and then, and then you know, I've dropped four, three, as you mentioned, three in a row um, to Creighton and to um, Seton Hall and to Butler. So it was... An interesting time because you lose three in a row and all of a sudden everyone's like down on this team, etc. But you got six losses. And at the same time, your point is really good because it's like ugh, this team, every all the pieces are there. You feel like you don't need anything else to add on to this team but time. And it's like yeah. we've Rob and I have over the course of the season been like, okay, we can't keep saying this is a young team because you know sophomores become juniors, juniors become seniors, sure. etc. Like, but at the same time, it's just, it's not necessarily, it's like each individual player's skill set is just like one year away with maybe Gillespie and Bay as exceptions. Yeah. One year away from being like mature enough where this team could come together and be like a national championship type season. Yeah. And it's frustrating because you could feel like you can taste it. You can see that the light at the end of the tunnel. I totally agree with what you're saying. Like literally the Temple game was the entire Villanova basketball season in 40 minutes the good the bad and then the, the, the steadying force yeah which is colin and and it's and the it's good the bad and the gillespie, and the gillespie exactly yeah. <laughs> and it's like it's crazy to me because like I, I i don't know if this was even talked about on the telecast because we were at a bar and you know they didn't have the game audio on but we were sitting there and i really believe without exaggeration we were watching a game in which that was like in which Colin was legitimately Brunson esque. Oh, Get, yeah, clearly getting to every spot that he wanted and against Temple <laughs> and against, against Temple, true. We just you always torched. Yeah. Um, and like the biggest thing for me because I think the the knock on Colin may have been you know he lacks a certain explosiveness um, to his game. But what I've I've said at least now for the last ten games is what's underrated is his strength. Like that, you can tell the way he's able to back guys down um, and get to the spots that he wants to get get to. If you're really like, I don't know, if you if you like dissecting basketball, guys who do that, like there's a, just a straight up element of the guys put the time in the gym to to do that to get to his spots. He won't get knocked off, um, and I, I just think that's a bit of a, an under talked point with his game and why it's become so strong. Yeah, I, I think that's partly because. The team that everyone remembers, obviously, was the 2018 team. Yeah. And on that role, on that team, his role was, hey, man, just stay in the corner and be the skinny white dude who shoots the ball. Yeah. And and everyone was like, cool, you did it. 
and you hit threes at a good clip, great. Yeah. And then last year he had to take on the point guard role, and he got stronger, and he was doing better with it. You had Booth there to supplement him, but there was still you had something like uh, like like he's really good, and everyone can appreciate how far he's come, and he's probably got arrived earlier at that stage of his career. But the jump from last year to this year is, I think, exactly that is the strength aspect, where now he just gets he does what he wants to do on the floor. Yeah. He wants to score, he'll score. Yeah. He wants to be a facilitator, he'll facilitate. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Colin is uh, is is incredible. I actually want to want to talk through a couple other players. Like, there's been a lot of conversation around Sadiq Bay. Yeah. Um, and his draft potential. Is he going this year? What's going to happen with Bay? He had a weaker game this year. He looked like he forgot how to shoot the ball. It's like the Monstars in Space Jam. Yeah, it was weird. It was weird. But like, look, I'm willing to throw that out as an aberration in his performance of the season, which he's shooting like 47% from deep. Like, what, what do you make of Sadiq Bay's NBA chances? Yeah. So I remember last year, like even like early on, I remember being pretty much like on the floor watching them warm up. And my exact my my instantaneous reaction was Sadiq Bey's got an NBA ready body. Yeah. It's like there I've I've never I haven't seen a guy come through our program that NBA physique ready to go. Um and I even remember like in, I was almost kind of chided for this on our Slack group where I was like, I think Sadiq could be a two and done. Yeah. And I remember a lot of people were just like, there's no way that's happening. Yeah. He's a three year, he's, like, he's maybe an NBA player at some point, but no way he's leaving the program that early. And now obviously there's a lot of conversation about, you know, is he a mid late first rounder? Um, maybe, maybe second round. I, I don't know what the draft boards are saying, but um, I think they've. He he ran up on the draft boards, and my impression is that stabilized. He, he stabilized in like the he's a mid to late late first round, early second round is what people are saying right now. Got it. So I think that if I'm reading you, you're saying that you think that that is a you you buy that. I do. I think for the good and the bad, right? So like, like on the good side, it's he is a lockdown defender, and again, like the uh, uh, when you're looking at drafting NBA level talent. It's crazy how much now it's, it's become such a, an analytical and technical thing where you look at specifically, is his height his actual height? You know, because a lot of programs, I mean, right, Scotty Reynolds was quote unquote 6'2", which is like ridiculous. From Virginia. <laughs> yeah. um, but Sadiq Bey is a true, at least a very true like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, yeah. and then more importantly, his wingspan, which is just, it, it's going to create a lot of problems uh, you know, for a lot of for a lot of shooters, and he's built like an ox. Exactly, he's strong. Yeah, he's so strong. Yeah, where I think the bad comes in is it's so funny because, and we've talked about this too, how the stats say he's a great shooter, and frankly, I actually would argue for my own just eye test that's actually his weakest point. Like his release point is lower than you want it to be. His jumper isn't super fluid he doesn't release at the top of his shot like i remember I've, i feel like i've seen a couple shots that he's taken and that have even gone in where i'm like mm, on an nba defender he might even he might get he might get stripped but we've seen other guys with not beautiful shooting mechanics go very high in the nba and be successful lonzo ball comes to mind but his premier but his his primary thing was that he's a he was a he was a facilitator and, and his speed like he, he was he was a he's a fast point guard Eric Pascal, yeah, has a weird shot. Easily correctable though, and that's why that's why I'm still kind of high on Sadiq. Yeah, because I do think it's correctable. 
Um, the tough part is, you know, like in the league, you're rely, uh, you're expected to take care of that. Like on your own, you know, in the summer, let's say leading up to uh, summer league and and and, and then throughout the league, like it, it's like like you're not going to have shooting coaches working drills with you in the middle of practice. Like you're going yeah. to be expected to come into the gym hours before practice and walkthroughs and do that on your own. Which hey, Sadiq has the work ethic. So I don't, that's clear. I don't doubt that he can get there. And that's what and that's what I like about him as a, as as an NBA guy. So crystal ball, envision the rest of the season playing out as you might expect it to play out, yeah. which whatever it may be, but uh, sweet 16 yeah. roughly speaking. Sadiq obviously is the let's just say continue to believe that Sadiq and Colin continue to lead the team. Yep. Everything happens as we expect it to happen. Is Sadiq back next year? Here, here's what I'll say. Like, and I'll say this with pure, just my own feeling. I don't think he should come back next year. Okay, I'll be so far as to say that. I know you guys said last week or two weeks or whenever it was that he's going to go to the draft. You know the way Josh did, and then eventually decide to come back. I think the issue. I think the, and I've talked this. I've, I've told you guys this too. I think the difference between him and Josh is he has the body to play in the league mm, to, okay. tomorrow, and so because of that, whereas Josh was like six five, even though he's strong, a little bit smaller of a stature. Yep. Like Sadiq is a legit six 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 seven and very strong. He can go on an NBA court today and at least on the defensive end, be very serviceable. And so I think when you're at that point with this. Week of a draft class with him being towards the older side of of of, of his age, and then like in my mind, if you're really looking out for the kid, like he should go. Okay, all right. So you heard it here first. Sandra Rocco, Sadiq Bay, NBA draft this year. Hey, it also cleans out the, the rest of the, the pipeline for the guys coming in. Right? Yeah, I mean, look the 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 up the up the upshot of that. Right. Obviously, if you were, we just had this whole conversation about how the whole team's a year away. <laughs> but but the upshot of that is that there are a lot of players waiting in the wings to step up and take larger roles on the team. So if the rest of the team can continue to develop, develop over the summer, Sadiq goes to the NBA, like that certainly helps. And it also helps the argument because there's a lot of discussion, especially in the context of Quinterly and and Antoine this year. There's a lot of discussion around, oh, these guys are, you know, is Jay able to get guys into the NBA still after that 18 yep. team? And I think that certainly helps that argument to say, oh, well, look, we got a two and done. And sure, sure. a four star coming in. Yep. So, like, Jay's still doing it. It's just these guys. You know? I mean, Pascal put up numbers in the, the Rising Stars game. Oh, he looked game, amazing. Right? So. <laughs> looked amazing. Mini Heart Monitor, Pascal looked amazing in the Rising Stars oh. game. All right. So, we talked those two guys. I don't want to get into too much detail. I just want to talk about. Two other guys who I'm really interested to get your take on. Okay, keep it quick. <laughs> Jermaine Samuels. Yeah, is he like he's up and down? He's had some moments. He had some plays in the Temple game that were amazing, and then there are points where he just disappears. And it seems to be to your point about how Temple is like a almost like a like a, like a microcosm of the whole microcosm season. <laughs> of the whole season. Like, why is that? A, why is that a microcosm of of Jermaine Samuels' season? It's because, like, is it, it between the ears? It feels like he is as good as he wants to be, and that is, and that, and that counts for both the good and the bad. It's like it does seem like there are times when he gets the ball, and you can see him, and you, everyone here has talked about. It. I don't think I'm saying anything too new, but it's like he gets the ball, and you can literally see his mental machinations occurring. Yeah, and 
what and then there's also times when he just lets the ball fly and it's just he has such a pretty shot he like we talked about Sadiq's mechanics like Jermaine's got really solid mechanics I mean he's got every he's got every tool that he needs to be an elite college basketball player and it's just I would agree it's between the ears and like when he decides to I guess silence the negative voices in his mind he can really be great and I think that's I would actually argue at that point, if that's what you're dealing with, that's a coaching staff issue. I think it's up. I, I will say that like it is a challenge on Jay and the assistant and associate coaches to figure out how to properly simplify the game for him. Because at that point, that's what it is, right? Like that's that's when good coaching comes into play. Is you understand what talent you have that you're working with, and it's now your job to get the best out of that that guy so i'd actually say that that's like that's actually i would say a challenge to them and also as much as we just talked about how much we love colin um i would also say as a challenge on colin if you're going to be the point guard which is kind of the de facto you know uh, floor general yeah and you're an upperclassman which i know you know i know jermaine is also um that would be my challenge to colin as we enter the you know the, the home stretch of the season is you can now show that you can easily demonstrate now that you can get yours. And now it's, whether it's mental, physical, whatever, now it's about how can you get the best out of your team, right? I mean, Jalen, Ryan, you know, like the top like elite point guards of our program, that's been, that's been where they take the next, like they take the step to the next level, mm-hmm. which is they get, they get the most out of the guys on the floor. And that's what a point guard's supposed to do. So... So we're, I think we're all in agreement with Jermaine. It's clearly some type of mental thing. Yeah. I'm in agreement with you. The coaching staff, I would, and I agree, adding Colin to that mix is kind of the, the group, uh, the consortium that needs to kind of get at that with him. Yeah. Is there a world in which, obviously not this year, but is there a world in which by the end of next year, with like that mental increase, that Jermaine finds a draft board? Ugh. I mean, yes. I mean, obviously, it's a big yeah, leap. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to think that, especially given the way the league is right now, he might go undrafted because he'd be a senior, and you know, it'd be, it'd be tough to take a guy who's gone four years and all, you just know where the league is right now. Yeah. But I think it's a guy who you can easily see going undrafted, kill it in summer league, not just be on a two way contract, like legitimately make a roster spot. Um, and then develop into a solid role player. I mean, I don't I, like that's. I think the best. I think the good thing about the NBA now is that even though there are these, uh, I'll say like kind of like stricter criteria that GMs have around who we should draft. I think it's. I think folks are finally starting to get a little bit more creative and a little bit more open to who we should roster. Right. Mm-hmm. So like, who you should roster might be. Wow, that guy had a great summer league. This guy's really killing it in the G League. Uh, scouting now that's going a lot more international. Like you're seeing guys like Luca, like Luka Doncic, like be like you know, top, like one of the top players in the league at his age. And I don't know that he would pass too many eye tests, right? When you're just kind of scouting yeah. him because of he may lack certain physical attributes, but the guy knows how to play the game. So where I guess I'm going with this overall is I do think if he can sort out the mental issues, or maybe it's a coaching thing, whatever it is. I certainly think he can make an NBA roster. And I feel like his measurables look, he looks like a guy who can make the NBA. Yeah. He's big, strong. He can jump through the roof. Yep. As I'm just like, I, 
to your point before, I feel like I'm just like waiting on it. For like- yeah, but I think the biggest thing though in the NBA is you need to be able to execute that on that day in day out. Yeah, and, no, follow. And and that's where it's like how many guys in the NBA have the measurables, right? Yeah. But it's the it's truly the ability to execute. And the mental fortitude to execute an eighty over the course of an eighty-two game grueling season. I mean, right? Even I think Arch was doing an interview uh, during his ret- uh, his Jersey retirement ceremony, and there were even and, and even the conversation with him was, man, like it's a taxing season. And he's probably the one of the most mentally tough guys we had in our program. If you if you're not mentally tough. You're not going to be able to survive that, you know, the ups and downs of, of an NBA season and all the travel and 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 all that. So right. I think that's where it'd be fair to question his viability. It's it's and it's it's so interesting because it's all it's it's so much more mental than does he have the physical attributes. Yeah, it's weird. All right, one last player, and then I we got to talk about Santa. We got to get to that. Yeah. So I want to get your take on Jeremiah Robinson Earl. Yep. Clearly a talented kid. Yeah. He's got he can and he can do all the he could all the he can play at all the different levels in that he could dribble he could shoot he's got good vision he can rebound the ball etc. What is he missing in his game? Like Rob and I said, like oh he seems soft, but like like what we've heard through the grapevine um, is that he works out, he's super intense, he's very dedicated, he's very focused, etc. So you wouldn't imagine someone like that ended up being soft, but like. He just seems to go up stuff, and I don't know if that's the only thing. Obviously, there's there's obviously a million things that if you really wanted to nitpick, sure. But like, what do you see? It comes out. It, it's almost like uh, you know, scouts like to talk about this all the time, and it's kind of a weird terminology. It, and Josh actually had the same knock against him, but it's that JRE seems to play a little bit more under the rim versus over the rim for a guy of his size. Yeah. Um, the times he does go up, yeah, it, it doesn't. It's almost like he picks the inopportune times to try to go up strong, right? He tries to go up strong when a guy is perfectly bodied up against him and like directly in front of him, and I think it's something that he'll he'll learn. Yeah, is it is it partially youth? Yeah, definitely. I don't think I I, I think there may be some people who argue it's not like you just kind of have that intrinsic ability. I don't. I actually don't think that's true. I think a certain amount of age and comfort in the game can. Can like accelerate that. Uh, he's nineteen. Exactly. So he's a, he's a yeah. young guy. Yeah, and it's it's also it's it's also trainable, right? Like I'm trying to think. Like the I think the opposite you might think of is a guy like Eric, who he had a weird shot and actually shot on the way down. But whenever he was in the paint, that dude was trying to get to and above the rim to and and, and could finish in a way that other guys, you know, like, of maybe his same size, like a like a JVP couldn't like because JVP was also a guy who was often thought of as like an under the rim type of type of finisher which is which what I mean by that is if you play under if you're more of an under the rim guy and you're not getting over the top of your defenders you're going to just get blocked more or you're going to get bodied and not finished because I think that's probably one of my biggest things with when I watch him is yes there's sometimes he goes up and just doesn't like he, he just straight up gets blocked but I also more often where I get a little um, concerned is he goes up and just can't finish over a guy. And I think it's because he can't yet, even with him working out, he still can't take, like the way we talked about Colin, he still can't take the body shot yet and finish through contact. But is that trainable? It's certainly trainable. 
Does he not? Is, what are you saying? Do you do you think that he has the bounce to play over the rim ever, or do you think he's just going to be? No, I think he's. Got, I think he's got the ability. I mean, there's no, there's nothing suggesting through however was it twenty however many games we've played so far, twenty five, twenty five, right? Yeah, uh, that he can't get there. I his progression has been really solid. I think he will be a better. Uh, face the rim, like like, like, like front front face to the rim, chest to the rim kind of guy. Like, yeah. I don't think he's going to be the kind of guy backing down people. But also, what I think will help him, and you're already starting to see it the last couple games, is he's now been finally able to knock down a couple mid range jumpers. Yeah, right. So like that's also what's tough too, right? Like if guys know that they can't respect that they don't have to respect your mid range and can just literally wait for you to body them down, and you can just kind of buckle down for this. You know, little I don't know five like five footer. You can kind of I don't know get ready for it and and and, and defend it. But if you have to constantly think, hmm, is he gonna try? Is he gonna hit this 10, 15, 17 uh, foot mid range jumper? And you have to prepare for that. Then that starts to open up a little bit more of the of the back to the basket or like uh, close range game a bit. Like kind of like what happened to Dante in his senior year. Dante Cunningham. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I completely follow that. Um, and Dante Cunningham made himself into a second-round guy who stayed in the league for 10 years as a journeyman. Yeah, and JRE uh, has... the strength of being able to shoot that elbow jumper. Yeah, and JRE arguably has a higher ceiling, higher court IQ, um, better nose for the basket, better nose for the ball. Like, yeah. you know, his rebounding capabilities are elite. Like, it's not even just good. It, no, it's elite. He's, he's elite. Yeah. All right, I'm going to ask you... Five quick shot questions. You don't get to provide an explanation. Ooh, okay. I just want to rapid fire. Big East regular season finish. <laughs> uh, we win it. Woo. Okay. I no no further discussion. Just is what it is. Tournament finish. <laughs> Elite eight. Sorry. Big East tournament finish. Oh. Uh, lose in the championship to Seton Hall. Okay, we got we, you answered the third one. Seeding in the NCAA. I'm gonna say four, four seed. Okay. Does Antoine transfer? No. Okay. All right, that was five quick. <laughs> All right. Whew. On the hot seat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So now with that, this is what everyone's actually been waiting for. It's not your expert basketball analysis. Um, it's to hear about how Sanzo's going, and. I'll just be honest with you. We get reached out to to say like, hey, you had this guy on. How's how's he doing? How's the how's the company doing? Whatever. When we had Sandro on, it was almost like a year and a half ago at this point. Um, you had basically just started Sanzo, mm-hmm. and and you know we asked you a bunch of questions about the product and what you were trying to do with it, etc. And now it's you know you can buy it, especially in New York, you can get it online through your website drinksanzo.com and you could buy you know all the flavors and, yep. and you could order it and it'll be at your house within the week you know you can do that now and everyone can do that and like it's gotten a lot of notoriety in the villanova community we've seen you on bon appetit we've seen you in you know everywhere yep. it seems like um obviously we're closer to you than than some of the others but tell our give our listeners now that you've had a year and a half into this like, tell us a little bit more about – remind everyone about the the company sure. and what you're trying to do and, and where you're going. Yeah. So 
First off, Sanzo itself is the first Asian-inspired sparkling water on the market. Um, and you know, if, you, if you've been a soda drinker or a diet soda drinker, you know, there's actually like there's good statistics and maybe you're part of it that show that you're kind of pivoting away from that towards sparkling water. So LaCroix or Bubbly or you know one of the other private label brands or even uh, Spindrift, which uses real fruit. Um, we're in that vein where we use real fruit, specifically fruits from Asia, to flavor our drinks. Um, but more importantly, the mission or the vision is really trying to catch up the beverage industry to what... I basically see is already happening in pop culture. I'd say the most relevant thing that just happened in the last week is what Parasite did at the Oscars. You know, four four Oscars, including uh, Best Picture. If you don't know the film, uh, the film takes place and is uh, produced by an entirely uh, South Korean-based uh, cast and crew. Um, I think the best way I would describe it is if you're a fan of the movie Get Out, which also did super well, um, I think it has similar nods to that. Uh, but yeah, it was the first first film that was not in the English language to win Best Picture. Um, and then Bong Joon-ho uh, won Best Director in a field that also included Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese. Right. And Sam Mendes, who you know has had a slew of insanely successful films. Um, that's probably the, so. I, you know, at least my so my take is you're seeing what's going on with uh, you know with with that film, uh, Aquafina, Crazy Rich Asians. If any if anyone here is a fan of uh, Korean pop, also known as K-pop, and like the the ba- uh, the group BTS, and there's a slew of other ones also. Um, you're just kind of seeing how much impact or how much American culture is really starting to increasingly Easternize, um, and kind of what I had seen with and what I've been seeing with the starting of Sanzo is that we're occupying that same place in specifically the beverage industry. And so, you know, we have some super uh, trendy, you know, like Asian slash Asian American clients that we can, you know, that we can kind of tout around Momofuku, uh, Boba guys to name a couple. But you're trying to go, even broader than that. Yeah, and that's actually where it's gotten even more exciting is that we've really been able to make inroads into the general, like, quote-unquote mainstream or, or, like, natural foods industry. So, like, our biggest client to date is this vegan fast casual chain called By Chloe. They have eight spots in New York, uh, three to four between Boston and Providence, two in L.A., and it's just, like, a very hot, trendy brand that doesn't necessarily associate itself with Asian American culture, but it does its, but it does associate itself with trends, and so it's you know like we are actually the number one selling beverage on their shelves, and it, and again it's like we are an American product that happens to have a little bit of a hint towards Asian flavors, and I think for me that's just an ultimate validation that uh, you know that at least the initial hypothesis has been true, which is that yeah like as, as I said like American culture is increasingly increasingly easternizing in its tastes right because it's one thing right like and you can go into an an h mart or an ashi sure or one of those big asian supermarket brands sure even a, you could, even a momofuku even is- a, and you could find a slew of product that you probably wouldn't see at a shop right or a sure. costco yep. or a mcdonald's or whatever sure and but there's something to be said about okay. At what point in time do these does this gap get bridged? Mm-hmm. And so you're saying okay, it's happening in pop culture, 
but you're now doing this in in the beverage industry and you're saying okay this can cross this has the power to to bridge that gap exactly i mean and look and it, it is and and yeah and it takes nice branding and packaging which we fortunately you know it, it seems like people resonate with ours it obviously takes great flavors and taste which so far you know we seem to be checking the boxes there um and then yeah it, it's the timing and the storytelling aspect that i feel like i've learned a lot more over the last year so you've gotten th- you have three flavors we do because you met you brought up the flavor aspect you have three flavors and it's just to remind everyone it's it's mango alfonso mango from oh, india yeah yep. lychee yep and calamansi yes and calamansi which is my favorite, yeah. Personally, is is a is a it's like almost like a Filipino. It's like almost like a mix. It feels like a mix between like an orange and a lime. Exactly. Um, I describe it as a lime and an orange having a baby together. You know what? That's a good explanation. <laughs> Which it's like you don't think of immediately. You think of lemon lime when you think of like sparkling waters yep. and whatever. But if you trust me, if you have it, it's like mind blowing. I mean, we've gotten written about specifically in New York Magazine, Epicurious, and Bon Appetit for that flavor. Yeah, yeah. So, what? What? Why those three? Ooh. Well, the calamansi was the first one, just because I felt like it was the best citrus fruit in the world. Like it's just if you think of, yeah, like citrus fruits that you might have a, a lime, a lemon, an orange, a grapefruit. They all, in my mind, and they're all delicious in their own respect, but they hit a specific like one note. And what I love about the calamansi is that it specifically hit two, which was both the tartiness of a lime, but also rounds out at the very end with a little hint of orange. And that in a sparkling water is just, it just, it was just immediately like, oh, that's fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I can attack. Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, and then the other two were just like, hey, if we're starting a brand, well, one, like people don't necessarily, people may not necessarily know about calamansi. So if you're going to start a line, you know, you need some flavors that are a little bit more knowledgeable or, or more, more easily recognizable. So lychee was a bit more of the nod towards, hey, this is an Asian inspired brand. Not many non-Asian brand, not, not many non-Asian inspired brands would ever incorporate lychee. So that was a little bit of, hey, it's established our our bona, f- our bona fides in in what we're doing, and then the mango was frankly a hey similar to Colin I'm like this is the best varietal of mango that exists in the, the, the world. Alfonso the mango. Alfonso mango. It's called the king of mangoes, and yet we can't really access it here in the U.S. as uh, standalone fruit. A lot of it's because of certain FDA regulations um, and the pesticides that they use or don't use. Um, that doesn't you know doesn't pass customs, but turns out you can easily import it in as a puree, and it and it is literally the best mango on planet Earth. You heard it here first. <laughs> um, so okay, so those are the three. Do you have any plans to expand your product offering near term? We do. Uh, so can't reveal the exact flavors, but we definitely have aspirations of at least one more flavor uh, in 2020 probably towards the latter half. Um, and then, so that would be four. And then I already have the supply chain and the kind of R&D pipeline for the for the next three after that. Um, it's going to be a variety of, you know, just general releases to the public. But then also what I think is super interesting about um, maybe applying what we're doing in beverages to what happens in the apparel industry is you can launch certain flavors as limited runs and really drum up 
you know, partnerships suppress around uh, these kind of, like you know, these these limited runs. Um, and I think you could just really have a lot of fun doing some storytelling there. So, um, so yeah, so one flavor in 2020, and then three more, you know, at some point in the future. So, what's your next step? So you've you've raised some money. Yep. Is there like a what, what, what do you what does that money go to? Where is, and then what, do you raise more? Like what's sure. the to the extent you can tell us? Because obviously there's a lot of signed papers around. Yeah. But like, you know what, what what can you tell us? Yeah. So a lot of them. So the first bit of it, which is good, and it's it's a good pitch to investors, is that hey, we have so much pent up demand for this product, but we don't have enough supply to literally just like uh, support certain accounts. So yeah, you're on backlog, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like we're like we're the, every single production one that we're doing is significantly bigger than the previous one, and we're already in a. In, I'm already in the mindset of oh, I know exactly where all of this product is going towards. Yeah, um, and that's on and that's you know even now in the middle of February, which is generally the worst month for a cold beverage. So we're right. actually expecting even more once we hit the warmer months, um, which is kind of an, obviously a, a really fortunate position to be in, but. You know, when you're in that position, that's a good time to, you know, raise some more money and, uh, you know, really build it out. And I would say the other aspect too, which is ultimately the bigger part, which is that, hey, like, you know, everything that I just said about, um, you know, us trying to bridge this gap specifically within the beverage industry, you know, the marketing and branding and the storytelling of that just takes more resources, takes more um Frankly, yeah, money. Like it's, yeah, a, right. it's, like, it's like getting product into people's hands, getting more opportunities to tell our story, getting in front of customers, getting in front of buyers. Uh, it's uh, like unlike the tech world, uh, like this. This I almost actually associate the beverage industry or anything in food and beverage, like CPG, like consumer in the consumer packaged goods space, as almost a bit more political. In that you have to have a very good ground game. It's mm-hmm. do you have people on the ground in the areas of distribution that you want to, um, essentially staying on message and saying the same message over and over and over again, as we've seen with, you know, this current president, as we've seen with, you know, just any successful, uh, pol- like political candidate or office holder, it's really their ability to basically like just jam down your throat one consistent message right. time and time again. Right. Um, and so I almost take some of my own storytelling lessons from the political from the political world. Okay. So you've told the story to this Villanova crowd that we listened to. So, you know, not to reveal our numbers and of listeners, but we have we've we've grown quite a bit and presumably almost all Villanova people who are in the United States, although we knew we do know we have some international listeners, they reach out to <laughs> they actually reach out to us in higher degree than wow. the ones listening in the United States because they're like, Oh my god, you connected back, <laughs> etc. So tell this group of a very diverse group of Villanova uh, people in terms of age, mm. uh, in terms of like you know we have students and we have older alum and everyone in between listening to the podcast at this point. Tell them how what can they what can like like everyone wants to support Villanova owned yep. businesses because that helps the university. It helps there's the, the cases helps a degree. It helps all of that. Sure. So how can Villanovans help you other than going to drinksanto.com and buying some, but how can they help you 
spread the word. Yeah. So obviously you can order the product if you want it um, on, on, our, on our website. I would say the most, the easily, easily the most direct way is if you live in New York City, Los Angeles, Chicago, or Boston, and very soon San Francisco, it would be literally to go to one of the stores in which we're carried and purchase the product. Oh, you got to go to Philly and Jersey, man. Uh, getting there. <laughs> getting there. Working on it. Yeah. Uh, some more news on that. Maybe give me a like, Three to six months. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> um, but then otherwise, it's... I mean, first thing, honestly, is actually following us on Instagram at DrinkSanzo, Drink, S-A-N-Z-O. Um, that's where we publish a lot of our news. That's where we're developing a lot of our brand organically. Uh, and that's really kind of the name of the game in brand building is like how, how good of a story can you tell and to how many people are you able to get that message out organically? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's probably, it's actually like a super small and free way to do it is just to follow our updates, share what's going on with your friends and family. Um, and then obviously the next step from there would be, you know, financially supporting us through buying, you know, through buying the product. Uh, I can, I, I can tell you that it's not, this isn't charity, you know. Hopefully, you like we're de- we're delivering on our value. That if you put down your money, we're going to deliver a very good product for you. Um, and so, I think it's worth. Obviously, I'm biased, but I think it'd be worth your while to make a purchase. Um, but I think that's the. I think those are the easiest ways. Just just basically just spread the word. Word of mouth is the most is the cheapest form of marketing, and it's the most impactful way to do it. Yeah, my recommendation to anyone who hasn't tried it yet: order the sample pack mm. because you get what you get. Four cans of each. Four of each. Maybe you like multiple ones, in which case keep ordering the sampler, but yep. give yourself a sample. They're all good. None of them, like, there's nothing that's an acquired taste in that group. There are varying degrees of sweetness and taste and variety, and, you know, there's obviously tartiness, and then there's some, the mango's a little bit more sweet. Try it. See what you like. Rob and I have different f- favorites, for yep. example. I love the calamansi. Rob loves the mango. Yep. Um, but... Try it out, and then and then and then if you pick a winner, pick a winner, and then order that. Yeah, right. There's no, it all goes to the same place. It does absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So that's my recommendation to the people listening. And then and then yeah, follow Drink Sanzo on Twitter and Instagram. Share it. Tell people about it. It's a Villanova business. That's what we're here for. We're here to help all other Villanovans out. That's kind of the goal here. So. I like it. And, you know, I think it's an inspiring story. It's cool to see a it's cool to see a Villanova brand be out in the market so dramatically. And and at the same time, a brand that's associated with, you know, your your Filipino and Asian American background. Yep. adds like a whole new different take on the story sure. um, of the brand and and has totally brought something to the market that has yet to exist in any other format that is accessible to uh, a large part of a large part of this of the country. That's the hope. Yeah. yeah. So all right. So that's it with Sanzo. Very much appreciated. Um, with that, we're gonna wrap up here. A little bit of a longer podcast. Um, but we'll be back next week. As we said, we got at the Paul and at Xavier this week. Big week, couple games that we should win, but they're on the road, so you <laughs> never know what can happen. And hopefully a 2-0 week. If we get to 2-0, could be a situation in which we're back into competing for the title. Sandro's already predicted a Big East regular season championship. Interesting take. <laughs> um, but that's all we got for you this week. Thanks for listening, and as always, 
Let's go, Nova.